Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. Women have been underrepresented in STEM education and STEM careers for as long as STEM has existed. Why do we need more representation and why does that disparity continue to exist? More importantly, how can we encourage more women to explore STEM careers? Today, our guest, Naomi Harm, will share her decades-long journey in bringing more representation to STEM education. Naomi Harm is a women in leadership STEM strategist, an edtech influencer, entrepreneur, educator, and published author. She has a passion and drive for instigating playful STEM innovation and future-proofing educational leadership into all of her professional learning and technology literacy effective practices with K-20 students and educational leaders worldwide. Thanks so much for joining our podcast, Naomi. Thank you so much, Charlotte. It is just a pleasure to come and join you from the beautiful Midwest today. Yes, indeed. It is sunny out. It is green and lush, and we are really full-blown in allergy season. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I went through that myself just recently in the Bay Area, and I love it. It's just lovely to be outside right now. But thank you for joining us. And before we dive into the topic of women in STEM, I like to start at the beginning of your journey first. Could you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? Well, probably my most memorable event as a student would come to me when I was about in that second, third grade classroom. My teacher was Mrs. May Becker, and I can still see her to this day. I had an opportunity that I got to be in one of her first called a looping classroom, meaning that when I was in her second, third grade classroom, I got to follow on to the fourth grade with her. What was wonderful about this is she really got to know me and all the other students. We had about 18 children in the class at the time. And I grew up in an era that film strip projectors were like this awesome tool, right? You know, what are we talking about videos? We had to have an audio deck and then we had to have the film strip projector. Well, for the life of her, she could never figure that thing out. And I always would raise my hand because I just loved the hands-on, the tinkering and the making and putting it all together. But some other things, a little side note, besides this classroom experience, I grew up on a dairy farm in a very rural community in Northeast Iowa. I already started milking cows in a stanchion barn with my dad at nine years old. So that meant getting up at 4.30 in the morning, getting the cows out from the field, you know, bringing them in, but working with this whole stanchion barn system and we'll working with the called devalve milkers. And it was all the backbone of what STEM had to do to milk the cows, to get the milk through the pipeline, to get it to the bulk tank, to make sure it was chilled at a certain temperature before the milkman came to get the milk. But there's a lot of logistics that kind of went around in that. And a lot of people don't realize that your first experiences actually being on a farm are so integrated in STEM. There's so much science and technology and engineering and mathematics that runs a whole farming concept. So my dad, he's been my mentor for years. He's no longer with us, but my work ethic and why I'm so proud and what I do for my work is really STEM for my dad. That's so sweet. And you're bringing two very different examples, Mm -hmm. a film strip projector in the classroom (laughs) and then a dairy farm, right? You're highlighting how both involve STEM skills. So what does STEM mean to you then? 
Well, what STEM means to me, it really excites me. It's all about this empowerment of creativity because it's all around us. Everything when we look around is made by STEM. And we think about our computer science roads too. I just really feel it is such an opportunity for us to have many different job opportunities because STEM is just not science. It's just not tech. It's just not engineering and mathematics. It's truly a thematic unit integrated together. And that's why I get excited about STEM, especially in the school system, because especially elementary teachers, we're teaching core concepts as a thematic unit approach. And then some of our middle schools, it's project-based learning in that STEM approach. But sometimes when we launch off to go into high school, all of a sudden now we're teaching these separate subject areas, and now it's not integrated anymore. I really feel it's an empowerment strategy in which that we can reach more kids with finding what they're really excited about. That's really passion-driven, what they want to learn. And if that integrated approach could happen in the school district, even up through high school, I think more kids would really know what they want to do, who they want to become, and really looking futuristically that global solutionist of what they can be to empower STEM in anything that they do. I love how you're talking about not siloing it off, like you said, in high school, where this is your science time, this is your math mm-hmm. time, but it really can be found in any subject matter that you look at these days and any career that they might choose, right? Yeah, exactly. Any career. And I, I think that's what's the empowerment right now. It, there's a big wave of getting kids to have experiences when it comes to STEM And just before coming on here, I just had a teacher that just texted me from Illinois. Amy Hass, she took a master's course from me way back in the day that we did professional learning communities together. And she says, Naomi, I've just been offered this STEM leadership position in a Wisconsin school district. And it's like, oh my gosh, Amy, this is so relevant. I'm doing this podcast in a little bit. But she says, where do I start? She says, I feel like I got a strong background, but they have no curriculum. They have nothing. So she felt empowered that she can build her own as a grassroots strategy, but she says, I'd like some type of framework, some types of structure. So again, that's kind of where I go back. I really focus on using the ISTE standards and also computer science standards, and I take them and blend them is what I do because we want to make sure that we're offering the children learning opportunities that really enrich their understanding in all of those areas, but also a strong focus for literacy as well, too. So that's why even I know you are such a creative author, Charlotte, and I love what you do because that literacy is so important to infuse in everything that we do with STEM, because without STEM, we can't have literacy. Without literacy, we can't have STEM. So part of that, they're just a really happy marriage. But what I love about it, it really helps kids comprehend at a deeper level to experience job opportunities, learning experiences when it comes to STEM, but also looking futuristically of what the potential could be for them in a world that could be unknown, you know, for job potential. Right. And that's why some people, instead of saying STEM, and just to be clear, that's science, technology, Mm -hmm. engineering, mathematics. Some people say STEAM because they want to add an A for art. Or stream, they add an R for reading. And you and I, we used to work at Wonder Workshop. And that was my first like toe dip into teaching computer science. My specialty was in literacy for a really long time. And I'm the same as you. I see a really amazing parallel between the two because the STEM subject really drives 
why kids want to write and why kids want to read because you want to research more about a subject you want to write about a subject you want to like express yourself with that so it's a really great marriage now for me that was an interesting transition but how about for you like you went from a dairy farm to like a projector screen then how did you become interested in stem education and being an educator when I first started my first teaching job where I did my undergrad work, you could say, or my understudy, I was welcomed into this environment, which is another rural environment near Bangor, Wisconsin. They had this big, beautiful computer lab that we still took the kids to the lab. You know, everything was separate back in the day. They had no tech coordinator, nobody in place, but brand new 26 marshmallow big size Apple computers, right? They're like, brand new, shiny, sparkly. It was the bling. It was everything, right? Not one teacher was going in there. It sat there the whole time I did my my student teaching. And I'm like, why isn't anybody going in here? They were deathly afraid. You know, this is 1995 of what do I do? How do I even turn it on? Where's it going? So I just thought, you know what? I'm going to spend some time. So as a student teacher, every night I spent an extra hour after class when I was done teaching with the kids, I taught myself how to use that computer. And it's like, there's gotta be a way. And so I was doing some online research and the wave of education at the time was Quest is what it was. So you took your kids on an internet journey based on skilled and crafted questions that the teacher would pose that the kids could do with this online research. So instead of going to the library and opening it up, I took my kids on WebQuest and taught them what we were doing. And then we would pose our research and post it up so everybody could see it and the parents would come. They're like, how did these kids get all these facts? Where did this come from? Because our library is so little, there's no way we'd have to have this. So then the principal asked, would you mind, could you coach some of these teachers here? I said, oh, I'd love to. But silly me, I did this all for free. Never charged anybody, just gave all of my time. I did this for years, you know, and then getting home later at night, I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm kind of getting tired, but at the same time, it's a lot of fun. So then that perked my interest of everything that we could do, the teachers entrusted in me. And then I naturally got the job as a tech coordinator for that K through six school building at that time. And what I also did is I, I helped write the Wisconsin forest history curriculum at this time for the state of Wisconsin. And everything was related to STEM in that regard. So we went out to the forest, we did all kinds of hikes. And then that's when we brought in the computers of how we could word process, create this. And we published the first curriculum on a CD back in 1995. The teachers must have been shocked. They would be like, what is this CD? Where's the paper? I want like a physical copy. There must've been some pushback, right? Oh yeah, there was, there was pushback. And then people are like, what are you doing? Nobody's doing that. You're breaking the mold here. Don't do that. So because I did kind of break the mold and kind of just, just, I, I, I followed the rules, but at the same time, I kind of pushed the limits. You could say there was a, a neighboring educational agency that was in charge of 26 school districts. They were looking for somebody to be a technology director. They called me up one day and said, we know what you're doing over there. Could you apply for this job? And I was like, gosh, I've only been here for seven years, you know, and I, I had my undergrad, my bachelor, and I had a master's degree in technology integration already at that time. I said, sure, I'll apply. And behold, I got the job. I didn't think I would, but I did. And I got to work with a team of other women leaders. There was like four other of us. It was incredible. I felt so much support. I felt so many people that wanted to be 
part of this and to just rewrite this whole program that they had for technology literacy. So the program that we wrote and did supported 26 school districts in Western Wisconsin. We got to lead that initiative and we had teachers and districts just eating out of our hands. They loved it because it was hands-on, it was fun, it was intuitive. We weren't just talking at them. We would give a big picture overview, give an example, let's try it together, let's try it in small groups. But we modeled everything that we wanted the teachers to take back to the classrooms of how to introduce technology literacy and then the STEM focus. So that's kind of really where my passion was, but I was supported by an amazing team of women leaders at this agency. And that was my turning point, like, whoa, I know I can do this for a lifetime. There's something about this and the relationships and the networking, but then getting to know all these teachers in 26 school districts, it was thousands of teachers. I just felt like I was just at the heart of something that was so good that I, I didn't ever want to stop. Yes, I feel the same way. My first internship was at LeapFrog and seeing how one product could impact thousands and thousands of students and thousands of teachers it, with just one experience. Yeah. That must have been just mm -hmm. so rewarding. And you mentioned working with a team of women. So I know now you often are focusing on encouraging women in STEM education and STEM careers. Is this where it started? Where did that passion grow and, and evolve? That's a really good question that you've asked, Charlotte, because yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It was that central location of working with those women and they were of different generations. That's what it was. Because when I came on board, I was assigned a mentor. I never had a mentor before. And my mentor was 20 years older than I was. And she was so well-spoken and she was the curriculum and assessment director. And she knew so much. And she was only like five foot three, but she was powerful and impactful and just so creative. And I just loved working with her. She really helped me with my own speaking skills. I found myself getting nervous when I had to speak with a big group of people and kind of you would, you'd find yourself saying that, um, or saying something and not, not giving enough of a pause. She really helped me with word choice and things like that. So it was just even more than the mentorship. She was a lifelong friend and she still is. I call her my adopted mother all the time. But the other thing that I wanted to mention, besides this great team of strong women leaders that came from a background from distance learning to curriculum development to technology literacy, one of the individuals, also Jan Wee, I'm going to give her a shout out. She actually worked for NASA at one time and she did curriculum work for them. So this background of all of these women bringing all these wonderful experiences helped raise me of understanding my knowledge to a whole nother degree. So it was amazing. They didn't leave me behind. They let me raise above. But I also got to give credit where credit is due is besides growing up on that dairy farm, I had the most amazing grandmother. Her name was Iola. So grandma Iola was her name. And she started her first catering business. She was the first woman entrepreneur in our family. She broke the mold as well. She was only five foot three too. She was this really tiny bitty lady, but man, could she cook? It was amazing. That's where I had my cooking skills. And that's the whole focus of chemistry where it comes to. I love chemistry. So she was a very strong backbone in our family. And I have so much respect for her and I still do and give her credit, but seeing her as a woman entrepreneur, that's when, when I left my educational service agency that I was at, I started my own business and I made that decision when my dad was passing away that year and he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer within six months, we lost him. So I spent quite a bit of time with him. And then he always says, you're just like my mother. 
He says, you're so driven. You know what you want. You could open up your own bakery or you can go ahead and create your own business and start your own leadership company. So my dad kind of put that on his deathbed with me and I wanted to start the bakery, but I had all of the skill and background when I left at the end of the year, this leadership company. And so I decided to dive into that leadership company, but I still had my network of teammates that they supported me as I moved on. But I knew in my heart, my grandmother was always with me. So I still feed everybody good bakery, good food all the time, <laughs> even off on the side. And that just keeps me going. So that sounds amazing that you had such strong mentorship in women. I had that too. At my first internship, Pamela Briskman, who now leads Galileo Learning's curriculum yes. team, she just put me under her wing. And there's like several people, Tiffany Hill there. So I can like just say their names just like that because they made mm -hmm. such a big impact on me. So I, I love how these women pushed you forward into this yes. pursuit. And another piece that we've talked about in the past is the importance of representation. What is the impact of having more women in STEM? How does that help our community. What is really important of having more women in STEM, first of all, is that physical representation. More girls, in order for them to pursue a career in STEM, they need to see somebody that looks like them, actually can speak their dialect like them. They can see their future selves as them. But when there's less representation and less role modeling, they don't know what that future career can look and feel like. Also, the pay gap. What's happening right now too is more people are understanding. It's like, wow, women really can lead. I mean, there's a lot of brain-based research behind this because of how our big, beautiful brains are organized, how detailed we are. We're made for leadership because our brains also, we are so intuitive. We lead also with empathy, but also collaboration. And that intuitiveness makes us a very strong leader. And that will help other women see that, yes, I can lead. And yes, this job can be led by a woman in an organization of such. So more girls need to see that women are strong leaders. But what we as women need to give back is that we need to mentor and offer more role modeling for our younger girls. So no one is left behind. That's a must. I love what you talked about with the term leadership, because mm -hmm. I feel like having more women in STEM helps redefine what leadership means, because I feel mm -hmm. like we all have just this one definition or one visual of someone who's a leader, right? Very strong, right. very vocal, very decisive, <laughs> but really, like you said, my type of leadership is not like that. It's very empathy driven. It's collaborative. It's team driven and neither is better than the other but Correct. we just haven't seen the other represented as much, right? That's right. That's right. Because we all lead differently, but we all have a purpose and a vision that we want to bring everybody with us. It's that collaborative approach. It's building those relationships and it's not singling anyone out. We know that diversity right now is the critical component. And that is the thing that's going to make us 10 times better by celebrating diversity and having a more diversified team, because you're bringing amazing amounts of differentiation of background learning experiences, and also different types of experiences from different types of cultures and traditions. That's what we need to celebrate, because that is going to open and unlock more possibilities of solving our world's most those global problems that we're currently facing in the past couple of years, but even moving forward. Thanks for sharing that. So we know the importance of representation, but it's easier said than done. So could you describe any specific strategies that have successfully encouraged 
girls and women to explore STEM subjects or to pursue a STEM career? So some specific strategies that I've done with my team, we will offer engineering camps and coding camps, even on weekends, we invite parents in, we invite girls in, we actually set up different types of learning stations. And you know, this term I've used before with you, Charlotte, but we do really active rotation stations, right? And there are small snackable bite-sized chunks of content, not to overwhelm, but maybe 15, 20 minutes in a station of what this can look like, what this can feel like. We've brought in guest speakers. We'll bring them actually in virtually too, that the girls can learn from girls and women from all over the globe. So they know that they don't have to be stagnant and always be in the Bay Area or be on a rural farm in Northeast Iowa, that you can bloom and you can go very far. But the experiences that's really been helpful is any time that we can have girls participate, not only with other girls, it still can be with boys because we need to help coach boys so that they can be active listeners to know that girls can solve problems too. And we can collaborate and work together. But I love it when we bring in the parents or the guardians or even elders so that we are learning from another generation from showing how there has been growth over time. Another key example, I'm working on a very large grant in the southwest of the Four Corners between Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and New Mexico, and working with the Ute Mountain Tribe, and it's all STEM, because we're trying to afford these children learning experiences that they never would have to help them know that there's this futuristic solution that they don't have to always stay on the reservation and maybe turn to drugs or turn to alcohol. So in return, they're seeing experiences. What does it look like when I wear the hat if I'm a mathematician? What does it look like if I'm going to be a scientist today or I'm going to be a STEM innovation specialist? We've even brought in an amazing Native American cook, Melina Lee. She's actually from Milwaukee. And I've been working with her for about three years now. And the tribe love it that she comes in because she is part Native American, but she has this culinary arts degree that we're using this chemistry background to make these amazing, incredible recipes to really focus on heart healthy awareness and diabetes awareness, because that's a lifelong skill too. But knowing that the culinary arts is a STEM specialty and you can become a cook and you can become the next great chef of the world and do all this. So these kids are just loving these classes, but at the same time, everything is hands-on, everything is in small chunks, so we don't overwhelm, but then we have great guides and role models and partnerships with elders, with parents, and then with us as master teachers coming in. So again, we're raising all the children up. We're not leaving anybody behind. So this sounds so beautiful, but we also know there are struggles, right? In trying to implement this. So what are some obstacles that you faced in the work that you do? In my job as a woman leader and as a strategist with STEM, I still run into some roadblocks with some of the different genders at times, and it still happens. (laughs) And it's amazing because some people have this mindset that we've always done it this way. And we've had a male leader in this position for so long. And now you're asking us to do it this way. That's going to take too long, too much energy, you know, something like that. But a lot of times I'll have to really give them their ROI, you know, their return on their investment. If you invest in STEM in this particular way and why we must as teachers teach differently to our Generation Z and Generation Alpha students, we are going to have that return on investment back in a tenfold with those kids. And sometimes 
when people are just stuck in their thinking, whether it's a man or a female, we have to invest in them to educate them, to coach them, to know that there is a difference with that. So I still struggle with that because somebody will say sometimes, oh, STEM, it's just a phase. We've talked about it 10 years ago. It's just a phase. You know what? All these jobs are going to come back around and then all the robots and AI is going to take it over. So what, why is there, why should we invest in this? And I'm thinking, oh my good heavens. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, AI and robots are also STEM. So if you want to live in a world with AI and robots, you're going to need to know STEM, right? But I I can see how that can be really overwhelming for someone who doesn't like change. And I think that's what it is. And sometimes some of our schools are so set in their ways. Change is hard. Change was hard when we got the internet. I went through all of that. Just little things, right? We call them technology hiccups or bumps. But If we can show what the technology is for good and that it's human-centered and that it's going to truly make a difference in lives, we just need to help coach others. And that's kind of where sometimes our roadblocks come in. A lot of schools right now, they say, oh, I don't have money for this. We don't have money for after-school clubs. That's another roadblock I run into a lot. So it's like everyone has a pocket full of money somewhere in a school district. It's what you prioritize as is important for our children. And what happens is they forget to ask our our greatest talent and our talent and our stakeholders are our children. And they make all these big decisions and forget to ask the how and why with our kids. Our kids are incredibly smart, intuitive individuals, you know, just creative, intelligent human beings. And they forget to ask what their needs are, what they want and what their interests are even at the high school level at times. So that's another roadblock that I run in when they won't make change. But if we get more of a voice of our students on board with a collaborative initiative, especially if we have a teacher team and admin team, your leadership team, but also having a student team, you're gonna have a more successful implementation moving forward instead of always saying no to some of these initiatives when it comes to STEM. I love that we've been surveying students more and more understanding what they want to build with our games. And it's just amazing what they say, like what they want to make, the stories Mm -hmm. that they want to tell. And that has really informed where we go. And if we forget to ask those questions, who are we making it for? Are we making it for our middle grade selves from a decade ago, at least? That's not the people we're making it for. So yeah, it's a great reminder of what to prioritize. Now, It sounds like you found a lot of ways to overcome the obstacles. So what are things that you've noticed have changed for the better when it comes to representation in STEM specifically? Well, what I'm seeing more is more women in leadership conferences. I mean, I have a conference coming up and they asked me to come and do a keynote for them in New York. And I was like blown away. They said, no, we love your vision. We read your book. We want this type of intuitiveness out there that you're really approaching this as a collaborative approach and a shared leadership approach. Sometimes leaders lead, as they call them, as a single Lone Ranger. You know, back in the day, we had (laughs) Hi Ho Silver and all of these, all these black and white TV shows. I'm really dating myself. But there's always this one person always leading the way, always one person. But you know what? To lead an entity of community of schools or businesses, we need to have a shared collaborative leadership that we're all on the same page. So knowing that these types of presentations and conferences are coming out, that are really representing women of diversity from every different corner of the earth, but also with this passion, the STEM-driven passion is what's really coming through. What I'm also seeing is more school districts, when they come calling and knocking at my door, basically, 
they want something different. They don't want what school A, B, and C are doing because it's that box curriculum. They want a grassroots strategy to meet their kids. Let's say if it's in a rural school district or if it's in the burbs, wherever it is, they say, our kids are just a little different. What can we do to create and make to really meet their needs? So that's what's really interesting. So when they finally do listen to the kids, they are saying, our children's needs are different in this area. And how do we meet them, making sure that they are successful, that they graduate, and then they move on to pursuing that type of career or education that they want. So it, it's interesting that some of those schools will be asking to get those kids involved. So that, that's what's really exciting right now. The other thing is more companies like what you work for as well, Charlotte, I love that we have more literacy educators and teachers and coaches working in the industry of corporate and also big sectors of startups and things. And they're finally valuing teacher education from their perspective because it goes hands in hands to meet what children need. So seeing that change has evolved because I used to work for actually a big corporate company. And prior to that, it's like we didn't ask the kids enough. They didn't have the teachers enough on board. And they're making these educational decisions that they don't have the background or knowledge of. So the wave has come that it's nice seeing that big companies are involving a more diverse community of learners. So it's teachers, it's industry, it's corporate, but coming together finally having some deeper conversations, you know, of what's best for kids and what's best for our world. Yeah. I love that. And because we have more diverse voices when yes. it comes to the decision-making, mm -hmm. I've noticed that the curriculum offered is more diverse. It's more represented, oh, you know? Excellent. So like for us, our video games from the first game that we made to the newest mm -hmm. game, when we say hero now, we mean hero in so <laughs> many ways, right? And regardless exactly. of gender, body type, you That's can right. be the hero of your own journey. So I love that we're now in that phase there too. Now, how do you think the future of ed tech could impact our work towards having more representation in STEM? So the video game component, even what you're creating and making, girls having those experiences are going to have a positive impact and new types of learning that they can see themselves now as a video game designer. I think we're going to see more diverse women that are going to be strongholds and strengths coming forward that are going to be more CEOs of their own companies, of just global video games. We're talking AI. They're going to blow chat GBT out of the water. Our girls moving forward, it's going to be a rock and roll show, I'll call it. But I know that's going to happen because I've already worked with some with a college just a couple of weeks ago. I did a keynote for them and we talked about chat GBT and these program assistants and students, they're like, I want to know how to code that. I want to know. I want to know how to set that up and what I can do. And they were so, so interested. So I think it's just that next step that gets them so interested that we are going to, again, see more CEOs of companies. We're going to see more women-led startup companies when it comes to AI. But I think more hands-on technology. It's going to be smaller again. It's going to be more mobile, touch interactive, because it's got to meet the needs of our Generation Z and you know Generation Alpha kids. And our alpha kids, they're the kids that are going to be actually, you know, programming those robots as well, too, to take care of our parents at home. And I will be a parent at home someday, too. My son promises me not to put me in a nursing home. He says, mom will have a robot there to take care of you. I said, okay. 
that's so funny i was just interviewing a student who's like yeah my next project is i'm looking into building a robot butler and i was just like can you send me one i would love a robot butler and he said no problem i've got this but i just love like even for us our next game we're partnering with roblox and we're heavily looking at how to make that experience on a phone because that like you said the for the future of the kids programming can happen on a phone and because of Mm -hmm. that it's so much more accessible and approachable for kids of any type of background and so we're really excited about that too about how that's going to really impact who the leaders of the future are going to be in in stem exactly so i'm so excited to be part of that kind of future so (laughs) if someone wants to join what advice would you give if they want to bring more representation in stem where could they start Well, there's all kinds of different agencies that are out there. There's all kinds of free resources that are out there. And I even have one that I started during COVID. I created an online global collaboration project called Her Story. And it was a need that came out because they said, we need more help. All of a sudden, when COVID came, they eliminated a lot of their STEM and science and technology classes. And even my little granddaughter was one of those. And she was mortified that she couldn't do her experiments and things like that. So what we need is more opportunities for more online resources. But there's so many organizations that are out there that will help girls. You know, Million Women Mentors, I'm part of that as well. I mentor girls all over the world. They ask questions of everything that when it comes to STEM, how do I get started? You know, how can I connect? How can I find a mentor? How can I find a role model? And things like that. But there are so many organizations out there that want to help and that they're free to help as well. I'm on a board of advisors for women in STEM leadership. It's through our LinkedIn. We have an annual conference and we're always trying to find ways to mentor more girls. The first conference is going to take place in Dallas. We're just trying to find more ways to help girls see their future selves so that they can connect and find a long-term mentorship to help them is what it's for. So I am going to give one little plug, Charlotte. I wrote my book this last year. It's called Discover the Unique Individual You. And that story is in regards to my granddaughter because she was so disheartened that her STEM curriculum was cut out during COVID. This book was written in all of the things that we did, even though we were distance learning because I was on the West Coast at the time and she was in the Midwest. And we did these experiments each week online that we could see each other just so that she could have that fulfillment of learning and having myself as a mentor to her. So there's many different ways that we can mentor girls. And it doesn't mean that we have to be side by side by them, but even the virtual mentorships are really important as well, but connecting and communicating with them at the same time. Yes, I also have a copy of that book, so I highly recommend it. We're going to link all those resources you mentioned in our episode description so people can easily access it. And yeah, you can start a wave in your own community with these resources or build new resources for your community too that's customized to what they need, right? So join us in this movement. I'm so excited to just see more women in STEM, and I know the future is just better and brighter for us too. Thank you so much for being part of our podcast, Naomi. And thanks so much for sharing your experience and expertise with us. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte. It's always a pleasure. And anything that we can do, because my motto is together we are better. We can't do it all ourselves, but we can do it better together. Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.